Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 12 and thank you brothers that have gone before me in praying and presenting psalms and singing. May the Lord bless our worship this day to be pleasing in His sight and profitable for each of us. Romans chapter 12, I'll read to you verses 17 through 21, and by God's grace we'll finish this 12th chapter today. Romans 12 verses 17 to 21. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen and amen. Amen. The importance of our relationships can hardly be overstated since the Bible emphasizes them so much and so much more than anything else. If you were to make me a list, on the left hand are your relational duties, and on the right column were the times that the New Testament tells you to read the Bible, do you know what you would have? About 500 to 2. You say, are you telling us not to read the Bible? No, I'm just trying to tell you how important it is, how you relate to other people in this church, out of this church, in your family, out of your family, in the world. And as verses 17 and 18 both said, without being redundant, to all men. Your relations. How can I get your attention this morning? I'm not a storyteller. I don't tell stories. People that get excited about stories, I don't have any interest in them. Because they're more interested in having their fantasy imagination tickled than they want to hear the Word of God. I only know how to read the Word of God distinctly and give the sense. But I hope it will be enough for you this morning. The Word of God should move you. This is God's words. It's not my words. It's not my made-up words. As all the stories of Joel Osteen and other popular preachers fill their sermons with little anecdotal stories and jokes rather than the Word of God. I do have the Word of God for you this morning. I've read it to you. I'll explain it and apply it. The Christian religion is shown to be superior to all other religions by what's described in these five verses. And that is how we treat our enemies. That's how we treat those that hurt us. That's how we respond to anger by the on the part of others. Instead of avenging or revenging, we forgive them and overcome their evil with good. We bury them with kindness. We love them to death, as the Bible would imply to us by what is said here. Our religion is not so much of didactic instruction of me explaining these verses to you as it is, Lord, give me something that I can do better when I go out of here in treating other people. And that's what we want to do and take from these five verses is how we can treat others better. I can hardly overstate the importance of relationships. It costs us the most. To put money in an offering box 
doesn't cost you. You can write a check in the privacy of your home. There's, there's so little cost to your emotions. But you know, when somebody wrongs you, and when someone is your enemy, someone is your adversary, and is provoking you to forgive them and choose to bury them in kindness, and in spite of their holding you at arm's length, you're going to embrace them and show them love. Now that has a cost to it. And that shows the work of grace in a Christian's heart and life. Willing to change their natural response to have a spiritual response. Let's go through these verses, and may the Lord bless us, to not only understand them, but to be thinking and committing ourselves to applying them and doing them. Recompense to no man evil for evil. To recompense is to repay. And we are not to repay the evil that others show us with evil back toward them. It's going to close with this particular thought in verse 21. And so we have a a section of Scripture here and how to deal with our enemies or our adversaries that is opened with a phrase and it closes with a very similar one. We don't repay evil for evil. We repay good for evil. Others may treat us evilly. We treat them well. They show disdain for us. We show affection for them. This is the religion of the Lord Jesus Christ and taught by the Apostle Paul. After 11 chapters of God's grace described and detailed in Romans The first 11 chapters, we come to Romans chapter 12, and it's about our relationships. Lord, help us understand these things. Recompense to no man evil for evil. So here's a man showing you evil. Here's a woman, a girl, a classmate, a colleague, a family member, a church member that's treating you poorly, that's treating you evilly, that's hurting you, that's offending you, that's irritating you. How should you respond? Our lives are so pampered and protected, we can't even appreciate how the Roman church would have received this same sentence. They had real enemies. They had people in the city of Rome, both pagan Romans and Jews, that wanted to take their lives, that hated them, that would have destroyed their homes, that would have destroyed their jobs, if they could have. And they did on many occasions. We don't have that. So we're going to apply it more broadly to all the relations that we have and those that we sometimes consider our adversaries and enemies since we have so few of what I'm going to call the real type. But the ones that are close to home, oh, they can irritate us too. They irritate us in a different way. Because that degree of familiarity we have with them, it seems like it hurts more when they do something against us. Can you think of someone right now or some ones that have treated you poorly that you can treat better? Bullies at school? Colleagues at work? Neighbors? Cousins? Bosses? Teachers? In-laws? Church members? Children? Parents? Siblings or spouses? Your spouse can be your adversary or your enemy when they do something that offends you. It happens in every marriage, and it happens frequently in every marriage if the two parties to the marriage would be honest about it. And so even your spouse can become your adversary that's done something to offend you. How will you respond? And the Bible tells us, don't repay them evil for evil. Though they may be showing you evil, repay them good. Overcome their evil with your good. You know, Jesus said a man's foes would be those of his own household, so I'm not making this up. Jesus said enemies would arise 
in our own houses. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 so that you can see enemies arising in the church of God. What a horrible situation at Corinth. This church, the Apostle Paul, called a bunch of babies because they were fighting all the time among themselves. Because fighting is earthly, sensual, immature, and devilish. It's wrong. It's contrary to Christianity. Paul said that they were carnal because there was still strife among them. In 1 Corinthians 6, the issue here is the fact that this church was taking each other to court to settle differences. Unbelievable! Taking each other to court. The first eight verses cover the matter, but the first six verses describe the fact. Look at Paul in verse 1. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Corinth, my brethren. Remember, Paul had started this church. Paul had converted them. What in the world are you doing taking each other to court? Because you have differences with them. So what if they cost you $200 worth of a paint job on your car? Why are you going to court over it? Why not let the saints in the church settle it? Now he's got a much better resolution for it as we get to the end of these eight verses. But he's, he's asking, why in the world would you take this to worldly men to adjudicate when the church of God should be able to handle it? Because after all, the church of God is going to judge this world. Verse 2 and verse 3, the church of God is going to judge angels. Don't you think they can handle the ridiculous little things that arise between men? The point being, the point being right here, even in a church started by the Apostle Paul, there were differences that they fought over, and that they actually went to court over. I'll show you how to resolve such things. Verse 7, Now therefore there is utterly a fault among you, because ye go to law one with another. That is a fault. It's a terrible fault. It shouldn't occur in the church of God, and it shouldn't occur among Christians. Now he doesn't say, call a church judgment session, have a sober and solemn assembly to where the church can rule on your behalf and another brother can pay for your car to be repainted because they dinged you in the parking lot. He doesn't say that. That that provision is allowed in the Scriptures for those selfish, niggardly little people that like those kind of resolutions. But for real Christians, here's the resolution. Why do ye not rather take wrong? That's the resolution. Why don't you rather take wrong? That means somebody does something wrong to me. That is, they smack me on my right fender. So I turn to them my left fender. Why do ye not take wrong? Or further in verse 7, Why do ye not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Why don't you allow yourself to be defrauded? Well, it's just not right. Then you're not a Christian. It's that simple. The whole point is, somebody's doing something wrong against you. Why do you think it's called evil in Romans chapter 12 and verse 17? But we don't recompense evil for evil. If someone else does something wrong, bury it. Bear it. Suffer it. Allow it. Ignore it. Forgive it. Forbear it. Get over it. That's a Christian. This is the Christian religion. This lifts up Christianity where it ought to be. The Lord Jesus Christ did this, 
And this is what we ought to do. Why do you not rather take wrong? Instead of going to court over your little problems and differences, no matter if they cost you some money, why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Now watch very carefully in his play on words. Nay, you don't do what I just recommended by the Holy Spirit. Nay, ye do wrong. Instead of taking wrong, they do wrong. What do they, how do they do wrong? By wanting to fight back when someone wrongs them. When you want to fight back when someone wrongs you, you say, but it's wrong that they wronged me. That's the whole point. And that's the whole test of our religion. That's why in 1 Peter chapter 2, when a boss mistreats you, you have a wonderful opportunity to show that you're a Christian. Without your boss mistreating you, you can never show you're a Christian. You can't show that you're a Christian when your boss is giving you a raise every six months and promoting you once a year. How can you show you're a Christian? Well, I can send them a thank you card. The world does that. I'll tell you what the world doesn't do. When your boss mistreats you, lies to you, misrepresents your future in the company, and you still outwork anyone else working for him, and you treat him with all respect, then you separate yourselves as a Christian. Of course it's somebody doing wrong. We get this idea that any wrong against me, I'm going to set it right. Well, the way to set it right in God's plan of things is for you to love them back and forgive them. Why do ye not suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Verse 8, Nay, ye do wrong. You do wrong by trying to right their wrong in an unscriptural way. Two, and defraud. Now defraud's now become act active. Where you were supposed to suffer yourselves to be defrauded by someone else defrauding me, now I'm defrauding. Nay, ye do wrong and defraud. Well, well, you mean if somebody does me wrong and I try to make it right, I'm defrauding? Absolutely. You're defrauding the Christian religion. And you're defrauding them for something that you ought to overlook. Because God has overlooked your 10,000 talents, why are you getting so worked up about 100 pence? That's called defraud. When you've been forgiven 10,000 talents or $30 billion in current worth and you're going to worry about a day's wages or a few days' wages, you're wrong. You're doing the defrauding. And then he says, and that, your brethren, because we ought to show this toward all men. This kind of forgiveness and forbearance and not repaying evil for evil ought to be shown toward all men, but especially in the church of God. Back to Romans chapter 12. Oh, Lord, help us. Listen, there's so much that could be said, and you know I could easily preach one sermon for each of these five verses, and I don't want to do that. I want to finish Romans chapter 12, and I don't want to do it hastily, but I do want to finish. I want you to remember that the Lord Jesus Christ said, when someone smacks you on your cheek, you should get mad and stand your ground and tell them they better not do that again. Is that what the Bible teaches? When someone smacks you on one cheek, turn to them the other cheek. When someone sues you at the law and takes your coat, go ahead and give them your cloak as well. When a Roman soldier comes by and takes you and says, listen, I want you to carry my equipment for a mile, carry it two miles for him. Romans, I mean, Matthew chapter 5. This is the Christian religion. And to the degree that you do not treat others this way, you are not a Christian. To the degree that you hold grudges and resent people and don't bury them with love and kindness, 
you're not a Christian. Recompense to no man, evil for evil. Of course, the natural man always wants to repay, and he wants to repay severely. But we can do this. We can forgive, we can forget, and we can forbear. And the Bible teaches us to do that. Oh, David was such a good example with Saul. I hope you enjoyed reading 2 Samuel chapter 1 last night, but long before 2 Samuel chapter 1 and Saul's death, David protected that man and served him so faithfully, though he was such an enemy and did so much evil toward David. In the evil, it's another sermon. The evil that Saul did toward David, and yet the faithfulness David showed toward him. You can do it. You shouldn't just not repay evil for evil. You should repay good for evil, as it's going to tell us later on. Jesus is going to say in Matthew chapter 5, right after he says, when a person smacks you on one cheek, give the other cheek. He's going to say, do good to them that despise you. So, see, turning another cheek, that's just being passive. That's giving place to their wrath. That's making so much room for their wrath because you're not going to stand your ground. You're going to give in and let them hurt you in these small little ways that occur between people. That's You're not recompensing evil for evil. You're not hitting them back. But then we're supposed to go further than that. We not only let them smack another cheek, we show them kindness. When we find out that they have a need in their lives later that day or later that week, we fulfill that need in their lives. You can do it. You can take the initiative to pray a blessing on your enemies and to do nice things for them. Look at the second part of this verse. Much more could be said about the first clause, but listen, I'm moving on. I hope you understand it, and I hope that from James chapter 3 and the previous preaching that's been done in this chapter, you well know what the Lord expects of you. But we're going to take these verses because the Bible is not redundant. The repetition is necessary for us. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. A similar statement is made in 2 Corinthians 8.21 that has an entirely different meaning. When the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8.21 where the context is all about financial character and financial responsibility of hauling money from Greece to Judea, it's talking about financial fiduciary responsibilities and integrity. There's no financial integrity in this clause right here at all. You know the context on both sides of it. It's relational about how you treat enemies. So how do we provide things honest in the sight of all men? with the same definition that we gave the word pure in James chapter 3 and verse 17. Our motives, our actions, our speech, our conduct is always consistently honest Christians in loving our enemies. We don't love them on one occasion and hate them on another. We don't love them in one audience and then despise them in another audience. We are providing things honest, just, and showing Christian integrity in our piety, in our charity, in our mercy at all times. We're showing honesty. We're not showing duplicity. We're not showing hypocrisy. We're not showing partiality. That's what it means. That's why it is stuck right here. Context is our master when it comes to interpreting Scripture. The greatest error of Bible interpretation is thinking that the same word in two places means the same thing. Because that is the opposite of rightly dividing the word of truth. We don't do that. We look at the context here. Repay no man evil for evil. Live peaceably with all men. So we know exactly what the apostle's driving at. 
and he says, provide things honest in the sight of all men. Well, in a context of treating our enemies and our adversaries properly and making peace, how do we provide things honest? By being without partiality, without hypocrisy, showing integrity and consistency in our charity and dealings with all men. That's how we do it. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Just like the word pure in James 3.17. But there's more here than just to react honestly. Notice that it says provide. It's It's an active verb here, an imperative verb, telling us to make preparation for this particular matter. Prepare or provide things honest in the sight of all men. You need to be ready by by thinking the proper thoughts in your heart at all times. And when you know you're going to be in the presence of someone that has irritated you in the past, that you are ready to be consistent with them. When you have been with an enemy and then you are with your friends, you prepare to provide things honest by maintaining the same position in both audiences. You know, it's easy to try to show Christianity to an enemy, but then when you're with your friends, to run that enemy down. Lord, let us provide things honest in the sight of all men by always and and in every occasion being consistent and showing integrity in our Christian charity, mercy, and treatment of enemies. Verse 18, if it be possible. If it be possible. Is it possible? As much as lieth in you, do you have any lying in you? If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Does this give you an allowance that if you don't have any lying in you, and it's not really possible for you to forgive others, that you get to fight back when someone hurts you? No, No, not at all. It's the apostle's appeal for you to dig down deep. For you to reach into the recesses of your heart and mind and come up with forgiveness for others. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. We're commanded to live peaceably with all men in other places. And here we're at, he's asking, he's appealing, he's arguing. If it's possible, it is possible. As much as lieth in you, I can have some. But the Lord doesn't want you to overlook any of it. If you have a work of grace in your heart, then there should be forgiveness in your heart. And you should look for it, and you should find it, and you should scrape it together. If it's just the dust in the bottom of a closet, you should scrape it together so that you can live peaceably with all men. Hopefully, you can open a closet door and it falls on you. Because you've learned the religion of Jesus Christ correctly. But if it's possible, and as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. The Bible exalts diligence, and the Bible exalts zeal, and we should show diligent zeal in this matter as much as in any other matter. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do with thy might. We typically think of being at the job and having something in front of us that needs to be done, but the Bible also says we want to be zealously affected in a good thing at all times. And so in this matter, we should be zealous. And it is possible. You say, I can't do it. I just wasn't made that way to forgive others. I was just given a hot temper. I just have a short fuse. I just can't take someone wronging me. Well then, you need to get saved. You need to get saved. 
Because salvation is to undo the old man and to give you a new man. It's able to do those things. I've heard all these things so many times. I just can't do that. Oh, yes, you can. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. You can do those things. Christ gives us the commandment. Christ gave us the example. And Christ has given us His Holy Spirit. Christ has given us His grace. We can do it. And we better do it. Live peaceably with all men. What a wonderful statement here. And I've already given it to you in James chapter 3. You are a worker of righteousness when you make peace in your relationships and you help others make peace in their relationships. We want to be peacemakers. Whenever we see people fighting, we want to solve that if we possibly can. Now you want to be careful because the Bible says that he that meddleth in a matter that doesn't belong to him is like taking a dog by its ears. If you grab a dog by its ears, what's it going to do? It's going to bite you. So you want to be careful when you get involved in others. But when you have an occasion, an opportunity, and in this church, you should always be able to get involved with anyone in this church at any time that are striving with another church member and set them at peace with each other. Oh, we want to be peacemakers. Lord, help us to be peacemakers. Have mercy upon us. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, is it possible that you could be a little more peaceful than you have been in the past? Thank you. That is the correct answer. Do you have a little bit lying in you of being peaceful with other people? Yes, you do. Well, let's find it and put it together and be peacemakers. Verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Now in this particular verse, the Apostle Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is teaching us that we should be able to not avenge ourselves because God is going to take care of us. God will avenge us. He said, vengeance is mine, and this quotation is from Deuteronomy 32, 35. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. I will make recompense for you. Don't you do it. And I spent all of the second sermon last Sunday focusing on this one particular quotation from Deuteronomy to give you a foundation for today, and I'm, not, I'm going to hardly repeat myself at all. God has promised that He will revenge wrongdoing towards you. So leave it in His hands. There's all kinds of arguments as to why we want to live peaceably with all men. We want the wisdom from heaven, James chapter 3. Because we trust God to revenge us, Romans chapter 12. Because we want to overcome evil with good, Romans chapter 12, a later verse. Because we want to adorn the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, other places in the scriptures. Because we want to show that we're the children of God, Matthew chapter 5. There's all these different reasons... Why? We don't revenge ourselves. But the one here in this verse is, God will do the avenging. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. Not I might repay. I will repay. I will take care of it. Can you trust in the Lord and go ahead and love your enemies? Dearly beloved. Now I enjoy this little opening to verse 19. Dearly beloved. The apostles using a little bit of emotional persuasion to help these Roman saints hear what he's about to say because what he's about to say is hard to do. And that is when you've been wronged to give place to it. Just let it happen. Like we say, water off a duck's back. It's hard to do that. 
And so the, the kindness is shown. Have you ever been trying to persuade someone to do something that you know is going to be unpleasant for them, and so you open your remarks by saying something kind about them? You know that I love you, but I think you need to do... Yeah. Why did you tell that about you love them? Because you're hoping to sell, you're hoping to sell your goods to them a little easier. That's why you do it. And the apostle did it. Why is dearly beloved right in here? Because he's about to ask them to do something that's very hard. My favorite illustration of the apostle Paul using emotional persuasion like this is the little tiny book of Philemon in the Bible. If you ever go read the little book of Philemon, it is basically not much more than one emotional appeal after another for the entirety of the little epistle. As he asks this master to forgive his runaway slave that Paul's converted. And so he just makes all kinds of emotional appeals. And you know what that epistle's there for as much as anything? To teach us wisdom. In persuading men. So, dearly beloved. You say, we've never heard that before. I guess I'm not very emotional. My brothers and sisters. Those who want to be Christians. You say, it's not as nice as it was when you started. Those who want to be Christians, avenge not yourselves. Let us not revenge ourselves. The Lord's going to take care of us. The driving emotion here is anger, and it's pride. Why do we ever fight with anyone? The, the book of Proverbs teaches us that contention only cometh by pride. Pride. The only reason you want to fight back, see, you talk about wrongs. You say, well, I was wronged. All you care about is your pride. Your pride was hurt. $100 worth of damage to a tool or something like that or to your car, so what? Go fix it. Get over it. I'm just using that as an illustration. Don't hit me later in the parking lot. It's an illustration. But we, we think of it as principle. Well, I gotta stand up for what's right. Do you want, do you really want to know what's right? Forgive them because they haven't done anything to you. Forgive them because God's forgiven us. That is doing what is right. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. Put your pride down and forgive others when they wrong you. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Proverbs 15. It's such a wonderful way to deal with a fight. Look at some examples from the book of Proverbs. Do you know the world encourages us to fight back? The world's heroes commend always fighting back. You know, the movies that are the most popular are your hero being wronged and oh boy, they wronged the wrong guy this time. He's going to come back with an M60 and he's going to tear the town down. That's a Rambo first blood. You say, how do you know, Pastor? Don't ask me those kind of questions. Just believe me. That's Rambo first blood. He's got a little tiny wrong by the sheriff of this town out west. And instead of taking that wrong and walking away like he was asked to do several times, he goes and gets an M60, strips off his shirt, of course. This is back when Sylvester Stallone was lifting weights and taking human growth hormone and, and lots of steroids. He's got to get his shirt off, wrap himself with 7.62 times 3.9 military ammo, and he gets himself an M60 that's usually on a tripod. He just stands in town 
and he basically tears the whole town down with brass flying everywhere and the sounds throbbing through your speakers and you say, that's a man. That's Hollywood man. I was reading a Puritan about this particular expression here in Romans twelve nineteen, And this particular Puritan wrote and said, The world and its heroes commend avenging ourselves, and they consider it manhood, but it's truly doghood. Those are his words. John Trapp. You know, after I've studied God's Word, I like to go and see what other men have said, and I kind of love that little phrase. That's doghood. It's dogs that fight back and bite each other, but not Christians. And we don't want to be dogs. We want to be saints of the Lord Jesus Christ. Proverbs 15 and verse 1, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. If you stand your ground and want to fight back, you're just going to escalate the fight. Just back up and give place to wrath. Look at chapter 17 and verse 14. Oh, there's so much wisdom in the book of Proverbs, but there's wisdom in Romans chapter 12. And the two together, along with James chapter 3, Matthew chapter 5, are wonderful for us to get along with people, even those that irritate us, offend us, oppose us, hurt us, deny us, defraud us, and wrong us. So what? You know what? If the world, let's take a family, if a family were to ever lay hold of the truth, of Romans 12, Matthew 5, and these Proverbs that we're looking at in James 3, it would be the happiest family. Because everyone would just overlook each other's faults, and everyone would just overlook the offenses that we create with each other. And then it would be a loving, peaceful family at all times. A church is the same way. If a church could just get over having hurt feelings, and just bury it, pay for it yourself, get over it. Let it be water off a duck's back. A church could be such a happy place to go to. There'd be no cliques. There'd be no grudges. There'd be no revenging, bitterness, or strife, or envy anywhere in the church if we could just learn this and do it. Lord, help us to do it. Is it possible? Does does some of it lie in you? Okay. We're in trouble then. We need to do it. We must do it to be faithful to the Lord. Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 14, the beginning of strife is as when one letteth out water. Therefore, leave off contention before it be meddled with. If you have a dike holding back water and you make even a fingers, even a finger mark through that dirt in order to let water flow through, that water flowing through that dike through that little tiny canal that you've made with your finger is going to eat more and more up until there is a cascading water, meaning that it's going to get much larger than it was. And when we start a fight, Or when someone else starts a fight with us, if we fight back, it is just going to escalate into a war. So the Bible solution is, don't do that. Verse 14, let me read it to you again. The beginning of strife is as when one letteth out water. Therefore, since fights get bigger, leave off contention. When someone is contending with you, don't contend back. Don't fight back. When someone writes you a snotty email, don't write them back a snotty email. Write them back an email and bury them in love and kindness. He's saying, let them get away with it. Wait a minute. I thought we had just read the Bible. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. Do you think you can repay better than God can repay? By you stooping to their low road, you think you're repaying something? All you're showing is that they are better than you and you have stooped to their evil. 
Why would you ever think that? Because we're natural men. We all think it. But we shouldn't do it. Therefore, leave off contention before it be meddled with. If someone else is fighting you, leave it, let it go. Make room, just make room for it. Turn the other cheek before it be meddled with when you're both mixing it up together and it's escalating into something larger. Forgive everybody. Well, see, it may be easy for you to say that. It's not easy for me to say it. But I want us all to do it, whether it's easy or not. Let's come back to Romans chapter 12. We could run through verses in Proverbs for some time, but we don't, we don't need to. Let's come back to Romans chapter 12. Dearly beloved. Did you know that Solomon 23 times in the book of Proverbs says, I need two words. First one's M, the second one's S. My son. My son. 23 times. Because he's teaching his son a lot of wisdom. And he's telling his son how he better be living his life. And he's warning his son about a lot of dangers that his son would be tempted to. And so he appeals to him emotionally. My son. My son. 23 times. Just another place in the Bible where you can see the wisdom of some emotional efforts when you're persuading someone to what is right. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. You know what that means. Don't avenge yourselves. Don't fight back. Don't try to repay evil for evil when someone does something wrong against you. But rather, give place unto wrath. Now this little clause might have given you some trouble in the past, and I hope that I can make it very simple for you right now. But rather, give place unto wrath. So here, we're told to give place unto wrath. And in Ephesians chapter 4, we're told not to give place unto the devil in a context of wrath. So, Whose wrath is this? There's three options for you in Romans chapter 12 and 19. And for those of you that like to figure things out, I'm just going to create a very quick little puzzle for you and let you think about it. There's three wraths. There's first of all your wrath. And so you you read the verse and you say, but rather give place under wrath. That means, well, I've got my anger boiling up inside of me, so I give it a large room and it dissipates because... As it mixes with the air, it dilutes itself, and so it's not very powerful. Or or it can be God's wrath. Give place unto wrath, meaning don't avenge yourself because God is going to pour His wrath out upon your adversary. Well, that sounds okay, sort of. But then if you read all five verses, there's someone else's wrath. It's the wrath of your opponent. Give place unto wrath. The wrath of your adversary. Don't avenge your... What what would you be doing if you avenged yourself? You would be giving no place at all for their wrath. As soon as they showed some wrath to you, you stand up to it. You come right to the door. You don't yield. You don't appease. As the Bible teaches in the book of Proverbs and the book of Ecclesiastes, if the spirit of the ruler rise up against thee, leave not thy place. Because yielding pacifieth great offenses. It's yielding by giving room. Because what does it mean to say give place? It means exactly make room. If you were to look it up, it occurs four times in the Bible in each place where it says give place, it means to make room. So you're making room, but rather make room, in verse 19, under wrath. Make room for wrath. How do you make room for wrath? You don't avenge it. You don't fight back. You just let it go. You turn the other cheek. 
Is that making room for wrath? Totally making room for wrath. And then we have a consistent comparison by 1 Corinthians 2.13, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, with Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, where it says, Be ye angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. So when you're allowing your wrath to take place, you're giving place to the devil. You're making room for the devil in your life when you allow wrath to exist beyond sundown, when you hold bitterness and grudges beyond sundown. We've used that illustration so many times for marriage, but for friends, for church members, if you've had a difference, get it settled before sunset. Get over it. Romans 12, 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. Let them be angry. Turn the other cheek. Back up. Don't fight back. Give place to it. Let it have some room. If they want a coat, give them a cloak. If they want you to go a mile, go two miles. Make room for their wrath. Let it dissipate itself because you're not fighting back. Be a pillow so that when their wrath comes at you in a blow and you're just a pillow, all that energy is dissipated and absorbed by the pillow and no one is hurt. Don't fight back. That's what it said. Avenge not yourselves. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. I'll take care of it, the Lord tells His children. Let's come to verse 20. Therefore. Now whenever we find a therefore in the Bible, we want to ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore? Because a therefore is a logical word, a rhetorical word, that is drawing a conclusion from what's been laid out already in these verses. Therefore. Since we are not to recompense evil for evil, since we're to provide things honest in the sense of Christian charity, mercy, and peacefulness, since we're not to avenge ourselves, since we're to be peaceable with all men, therefore, if thine enemy hunger, leave him alone and see how fast he gets starves. If thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. Now, The Apostle Paul is quoting almost word for word from Proverbs chapter 25, and I would like you to look at it because Solomon has a little bit more than the Apostle Paul puts in here, and we want to get the whole thing. The Apostle Paul doesn't have to put it all because he expects you to also read the Old Testament and know what's there. But look at Proverbs chapter 25. While holding your place at Romans 12, let's come back to the book of Proverbs and see our brother Solomon. Verse 21. If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he be thirsty, give him water to drink. Anyone ever do this? Did some Syrians ever come and surround Elisha in the city of Dothan? And uh, then Elisha led these blind men to the king of Israel? And and the king of Israel was so excited to see his whole enemy blind. And he said, Elisha, can we kill them all now? Elisha said, why? No. Pull out the, pull out the banquet tables and serve them. Feed them. And so it says a great provision was made and they fed this whole army. And it said the army went home and never came into the coast of Israel again. How's that for an illustration? That's the kind of illustrations I like to give that are from the Bible. For Proverbs 25 and verse 21. 
Verse 22, For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head. And notice what is extra here. And the Lord shall reward thee. Do you remember last Sunday I was trying to teach you, and I'm trying to teach you right now, to do things God's way is win, 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 win. It just keeps going on. It's winning to do it God's way. When you don't do it God's way, it is lose, 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 because it results in confusion and every evil work. What a difference. What a difference is laid before us today by God's Word. What a difference is laid before us to have a dysfunctional, messed up family life, to have a dysfunctional, messed up church life, or to have a wonderful, peaceful, loving family life, or a wonderful, peaceful, loving church life. There are, there are families that just continually perpetuate fighting, yelling, holding grudges. One, one says something nasty to another, they have to say something nasty back. Then the first party has to say something nastier. Then it's nastier until nastiness reigns. What a wicked, foolish family. And it just perpetuates itself generation after generation. Do you know how easy it is to end the whole thing? Blow it off when somebody writes you a snotty email. Ignore it when somebody offends you or slights you. Love them back. Take that as a cue. Ah, I just had someone do something that hurts my feelings. I have just been given a cue by the Lord of Heaven that I should write them a kind note telling them how much I love them. When it says, if your enemy's hungry, give him bread to eat, and when he's thirsty, give him water to drink, that's just a general doing good to those that despise you, as Jesus would teach in Matthew 5. You're going to seldom run into your enemy when he's hungry. But you're going to run into your enemy having needs, and you can help him. You're going to seldom run into him thirsty, where you can hand him a cup of water, but you will find occasions where he could use your help or your blessing, and you should give it to him gladly and cheerfully. And in so doing, you'll heap coals of fire on his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. Let's come back to Romans 12. The Lord shall reward thee is not in Romans 12, but everything else there in those two verses is, as the apostle used what Solomon wrote for wisdom that is repeated in the New Testament. Verse 20, Therefore, based on what I have said in verses 18, 19, and 20, Therefore, if you see your enemy hunger or you see him having a need, supply that need for him. Matthew 5 teaches this. Someone curses you, bless them. Someone hates you, pray for them. Someone despises you, do good to them. That is what Jesus taught. That is our religion. That is what we want to do. And we are talking about adversaries, opponents, and enemies. We are not talking about our brethren. We've already been over our brethren last Sunday in verse 16 and verse 15 and verse 10 and some of the other verses here in Romans chapter 12. This, these are our enemies. These are the ones that have hurt us. This is how we respond. We don't respond in kind. We don't return evil for evil. We return good for evil. What does it mean to heap coals of fire on his head? Well, obviously, coals of fire on your head would hurt. That'd be painful. Coals of fire are hot. You don't even want to walk on them. The Bible does refer to walking on hot coals. The Bible refers to taking hot coals in your bosom. But this is to have hot coals on your head. Hot coals were put on top of ore that was taken out of the ground in order to smelt that ore and and arrive at the precious metals hid in the ore because you'd have coals underneath, you'd have coals on top, you're maximizing the heat. It's painful. 
So obviously it's painful, and we're going to believe that it's painful. But in what way is it painful? We want to look at this, the last verse of Romans 12 to understand what we're doing. Be not overcome of evil. That would be avenging yourself and fighting back. But overcome evil with good. So it must have some good end. Instead of another person's evil provoking us to evil, and we thus escalate to evil till we're both sinning, someone sins against us, we return good to them, and we seek to overcome their evil with good. Is what it means. And what it means is this. When you love somebody that is hating you, when you treat well someone that is mistreating you, you smite their conscience. You make them feel guilty. You bring a, a rational consideration of their mind that they are mistreating you, that you are a good person, that you are a noble person, and they are wrong for having done what they did to you, and you are causing them shame, you are causing them guilt, you are causing them to reconsider what they did, and the Lord willing, they could end up being your friend. Because you are going to seek to overcome their evil with good. When you fight back with evil, no one's getting better. You have stooped to their low road that they've taken. Coals of fire on the head would be a very painful event. There's words in script, there's verses in scripture that describe what, that coals of fire are a negative thing and that, and that they're, they're hurtful and they're painful. There's no need for us to assume greater vengeance by God here because this is something the saint does. And this is something that the saint himself can affect. But because of that 21st verse, we believe that this is overcoming with evil with good by causing remorse or repentance on the person that's been fighting you. And in a church situation, that, ha- that should happen every time. Out in the world, it's going to happen fewer times, but it can still happen. Did David ever do that with Saul? How did he heap coals of fire on his head? Chapter 24 of 1 Samuel. Cut off the hem of his garment, waited until morning, and held it up and said, I didn't take your life when I could have in this cave. And listen, what are you out chasing a flea around like me? I'm nothing. I've served you the best I could, and I'd serve you again right now, Father, if you'd take me home. Oh, my son. My son, David. David, my son. And he'd go home with Saul for a while until Saul got the mood again to pick up his javelin and try to kill him. And chapter 26, when David came upon King Saul sleeping at night in the midst of his army, and he's with one of his beloved nephews who said, look at the Lord's put him in your hands, let me chop his head off. He'll never feel a thing, and I won't have to do it twice. He says to David, and David says, no, he's the Lord's anointed. And so he takes his canteen, his cruise of water, for those of you still in the King James Bible, and that's where I am. We take a can, he takes his canteen, goes away the next morning. Look at where I was last night. I was right beside you and I could have taken your life. I'm just a flea. He's giving place to all of Saul's wrath. He's not avenging himself and he's returning good and he's heaping coals of fire on that man's head. And the man would say, David, my son, I forgive, come home, come home. I shouldn't have been treating you this way. That is what we understand by the last part of verse 20. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. You are going to create a painful thing on his mind that he has been wrong in treating you the way that he has, or she, 
because you are returning such love and kindness toward them, they're going to feel guilty. They're going to, their conscience is going to smite them. And verse 21 explains it by telling us, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. If you respond with wrath or revenge to someone mistreating you, your enemy has defeated you. You think you're winning? Because you, because you respond in kind to them, you think you're winning? You just lost. They just beat you. They just showed that you're not a Christian. It's horrible. Don't let that happen to us, brethren. If you respond with wrath to mistreatment, your religion is so weak it means nothing. This is an opportunity when someone mistreats us. While you're angry at some adversary for mistreating you, and yet you respond in kind, you commit a similar crime yourself. It's horrible. Why are you, why are you thinking so critically of them when you go and do the same thing back to them? Oh, Lord, help us. David wasn't always like he was when he treated Saul in the examples I gave you from 1 Samuel 24 and 26. David wasn't that way when Nabal crossed him. In his younger days, chafed by being living out in the woods, knowing that he was the anointed king of Israel, and to have Nabal treat him that way and just refer to him as some ordinary, no-good, runaway slave, it was more than he could bear. And he purposed that he was going to go kill every male in Nabal's household. But thanks be to God for Abigail, she stopped him. So the temptation is great. I don't think you've been tempted quite as hard as as David was in that particular situation. But nonetheless, David was foolish and wicked in that particular case. And Abigail told him so that he could have greatly ruined his reputation if he'd have gone through with what he intended to do. Why Why will you take the low road? You know, here you are going along in your Christian life and someone in the church, someone out of the church, someone in your family, someone at work mistreats you. They take the low road. They do something nasty. They do something mean to you. They do something costly. They do something that hurts you. Why do you want to stoop to the low road? Let's take the high road right over them, as this 21st verse says. Be not overcome of evil. Don't let evil pull you down to their level. But overcome evil with good. Take the high road and bring them up to the high road by overcoming their evil with the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Good can overcome evil if if it be possible. And if there's some lying in you, good can overcome evil. The fool says, i got to get even. The apostle says, I will be better and do good above his evil. Isn't it amazing? We use the word even. I have to get even. Do you know what that means? Because he's a wicked fool. I need to be a wicked fool just like him. That's what it means. i got to get even. See, even. He's down here. He's done something foolish and wicked to you, but you've got to get even. So you do the same thing to him so that you can get down and be even. But the Bible teaches you how to be superior. Overcome them. Over. You're over Him. You're above Him. You're higher. You've taken the high road. The high road is the Christian road. And we want to take the high road in all of these relationships so that we can show the world the true religion of Jesus Christ. The true religion of Jesus Christ is not just thundering about election and predestination from this pulpit. 
The true religion of Jesus Christ, if we look at the emphasis of the whole Word of God and the emphasis of the New Testament epistles, is to rightly relate to those around us, including our enemies, and to take the high road and show them that person is operating by a different set of rules than everyone else I know. And the different set of rules is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He did that. He did that in His lifetime. He did that on the cross. And He did that to you and me over and over. And do you know what? My Savior is still doing it to me over and over. I still evilly treat Him from time to time, but He never evilly treats me. Slow to anger is better than the mighty. Proverbs 16.32 We don't want to just be slow to anger. We want to be quick to goodness. Because if, if being slow to anger is better than the mighty. If just being slow to anger is better than the mighty, then what about the person that doesn't get angry and does something good to his enemy? Well, how do we even describe it? He's Christ-like. We can do better than slow to anger. We can show good in return. God and Jesus Christ have overcome the world their way, why not us overcome the world the same way with loving kindness and mercy? You know, God has left Himself a witness. Remember Acts 14, 17? God's left Himself a witness in the world by sending fruitful seasons and rain and filling men's hearts with food and gladness. Are you you with me? He fills their hearts with food and gladness. Does He fill atheists' hearts with food and gladness? Does He fill agnostics' hearts with food and gladness? Does He fill evolutionists' hearts with food and gladness? Yes, He does. Can we follow His example? Can we fill their hearts with food and gladness? Somebody wrongs you, take them out to eat. Somebody wrongs you, send them a gift. Somebody wrongs you, send them a card. Somebody wrongs you, embrace them. Hug them. Whisper in their ear that you love them. This is the religion of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Romans chapter 12. May God bless the preaching of His Word for us all to be Christ-like and to show that we are the sons of God by the way that we conduct ourselves to those that wrong us. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. Amen.